0: Welcome to Longwoods Breakfast. I am Matthew Hart, CEO for Longwoods Publishing. We're the producers of the event. Uh, Today, we are joined by some of my favorite uh, people and one of my favorite organizations.
1: Oh, thanks so much. Uh, I am relatively new, uh, seven months in, but who's counting? Uh, But when I started, I'm not from home here, by the way. So I'm not only new to SE Health, uh, I'm new to a whole new sector. And uh, one of the first things I try to understand is who is SE Health? And it's mind blowing to me that this organization that is over 108 years old remains even more relevant today than it did back then. We are a national uh, healthcare organization. Um, We are in five provinces. Uh, We provide healthcare mostly in the home, but in multiple care settings, we see 22,000 Canadians every day. But what got me isn't the fact of the scale or what the organization does, but the purpose, which is a big reason why I joined. And the purpose is bringing hope and happiness. It is central to everything we do as an organization, whether it be in the home, uh, in the back office, Uh, in a particular care setting, you can feel it. And as Zana mentioned, even when you leave, you still wanna do that. Uh, But what is also interesting is that we are a social enterprise. And part of that is to have a positive impact in the way that Canadians live and age at home in their communities while taking the mandate of our heritage around uh, from the Sisters of St. Elizabeth uh, regarding uh, really creating a positive margin in order to fulfill our purpose. And so the investment that SE has made in the research center is really about that. And we are living our vision through the work of what Justine, Paul and their associates are doing at the Research Center. Next slide. So the Research Center, um, it's interesting. I'm new. Uh, You can start with the core of an organization. But um, those of you that know me, I like to start at the periphery and see what's going on outside of the main core and in the little nooks and crannies of our massive organization, which has over 8,000 leaders as part of it. one of the first uh, places I looked in uh, was, what's this research center? Like, what's this all about? And what I learned at, it was established by uh, my predecessor, the iconic Shirley Sharkey and others in the organization 20 years ago, uh, 20 years ago. And uh, it has evolved to include an amazing group of scientists, associates, students, and other staff. And their main purpose is to, study the needs of people, uh, their caregivers, healthcare providers to co-create and act on evidence-based solutions to tough, complex, complicated health and social issues uh, with experts uh, that have lived experience in these four domains uh, that I won't repeat here. But this Uh, center to me when I started to dig in um, and I I, I ran into one of Justine's YouTube videos uh, and I went, this is interesting. We are talking about modernizing home care. We are talking about the post pandemic where all many Canadians want to remain in their homes. And when we talk about modernization, there's a certain um, strategic advocacy that's done by our sector, which we support fully but there has gotta be something different, something stronger that goes beyond our sector. It talks more about a broader set of determinants of health. And that's when I ran into the Research Center and the genesis of this presentation. So what you're gonna hear today Actually, you're not going to hear from me because I think I'm the dumbest person on the panel uh, on this issue. So when Matt asked me to present about the future of home care, I was like, you know what, I I, I got nothing for you, Matt. Um, but I will take advantage of this to showcase the nooks and crannies uh, of SE Health, and I'm going to turn it over to um, uh, well, actually, I'm sorry, I'm not going to turn it over, it, but I am going to talk about uh, the genesis of uh, and, and the thesis of our presentation in the next slide. Um, which, uh, actually, the last slide, sorry, yeah, uh, I'm looking at two different things here, (laughs) but this is about health system transformation, and it uh, typically includes four uh, parts of the equation, and uh, it includes evidence, experience, expertise, and values, but the way that we are starting to look at this that within older adults is a massive body of research. It's unconsolidated, Um, there's nuggets of uh, insights, but it's not stitched together and it doesn't stick. It's not sustainable and it has not driven larger system change. On the experience front, we tend to be very narrow as providers, as researchers, as policy uh, makers uh, around uh, really looking at a very narrow set and not contemplating the experiences of other uh, communities like our Indigenous communities, uh, our uh, um, uh, culturally uh, appropriate care, and so on. And so the aperture of our lens is quite narrow. On the expertise front, it is largely clinical, academic, the PhDs of Justine and Paul and others, uh, really sitting and thinking about uh, tough problems. Uh, And we just started recently as a system starting to bring in the lived um, uh, experiences of our patients, clients, caregivers, and their families. And the last one on values is, we always talk about cost, about being cheaper, um, but we don't talk about the real needs of our people. This equation, while highlights how to transform system change, it doesn't actually get at the root cause. And we we believe we need to rebalance and expand this equation. Now I'm gonna hand it over to Justine, who's chugged two Red Bulls uh, because she's a little bit under the weather uh, to lead us through the next set of slides. Thank you.
2: Thanks a lot, John. So I'm going to talk a little bit about how the SE Research Centre is trying to approach this equation differently in our work to improve care for aging Canadians. So you just heard John talk about sort of the narrow view that we sometimes can have. uh, In terms of evidence, we really try to summarize what's already known about a project or a topic before we get started on something new. And we try to leverage mixed methods, so really relying on routinely collected health information and harnessing big data alongside other methods like co-design with system users to really make sure that context-relevant evidence is generated and used. And then we try to align our evaluation work with outcomes that are meaningful to health system decision makers, like the quadruple aim, for example. In terms of experience, we go straight to the source, so working with aging Canadians themselves, their health and social care providers, and really considering their experiences alongside the experiences of other leaders and experts across the system. In terms of expertise, you heard John say we really prioritize expertise by lived experience and look for new ways to harness practice-based clinical and scientific knowledge in new ways. And that means bringing people to the table with diverse skill sets in collaborative leadership and non-hierarchical decision-making, knowledge mobilization, to name a few. And finally, in terms of values, we really try to align our projects with the values of society. So in an aging context, that means living and aging at home in our communities for as long as possible and having choice and autonomy with that care. So today I'm going to highlight a research study that involves an in-depth exploration of the evidence, experience, expertise, and values to inform transformative health system change in long-term care for aging Canadians. And that's through something we're calling long-term life care at home. I just wanna take a moment to acknowledge the investigator team listed here on the slide, Margaret Sari, Paul Holyoke, John Hurdies, and George Heckman, and the associations and the, um, and the organizations they're affiliated with listed here. This study is funded by SE Health. It is active and ongoing. And while the data is collected and analyzed primarily focused on Ontario, we feel the learnings and the findings along with the model itself could be applied and applicable to other contexts all across our country. So why do we need transformative change in long-term care anyway? So let's start with the evidence and summarize what's already known. People want to live and age and receive care at home. That's not just a societal value, that's something we have a lot of data about. We also know that short-term task-based home care does not meet holistic needs. And we're learning that we cannot build and staff enough hospital and residential long-term care beds to meet the growing demand. It's becoming pretty apparent that family caregivers are becoming burnt out less available, and with changing family structures and dynamics, less willing to take on extra care to fill holes in our system. And if we look to international evidence, it's very clear that we need to be thinking about long-term care as an integrated system of services and supports, not an individual sector. And when we look at the COVID-19 pandemic, it certainly has exacerbated all of these issues across the board. So as researchers, when we were building on this evidence and thinking about what does transformative health system change look like in long-term care for aging Canadians, we imagined a future where long-term care is a continuum, where there's life care to meet holistic needs, where there's equitable funding, availability, and access, and it results in better patient, caregiver, and provider experiences. So we set out to build a feasible alternative model to residential long-term care That would give older adults the option to receive needs-based life care at home long-term. So let's unpack a little bit what we did in the research study. We can summarize this in three overall steps. We first described variation in medical, functional, and psychosocial life care needs of community-dwelling older adults. We then developed packages of long-term life care at home to support this variation in needs. And then we assess preliminary feasibility of the model using the Ontario healthcare market as a test case. And I'm not going to get into the detailed scientific methods during the talk today. However, if you're interested in those, you can certainly follow up with us after the talk or look at our recently published protocol paper in BMJ Open. So what does it look like to integrate evidence, experience, expertise, and values in a way that's going to lead to transformative health system change in long-term care for older adults, the way I was talking about on that previous slide. One word, it's messy. And if you look at this slide, we intentionally developed it to be very busy and almost illegible because it represents the amount of work and the amount of information that's needed to drive this level of change. A few highlights include that we looked at over 300,000 Ontario home care assessments. We engaged over 40 home care clinicians in a six weeks consensus survey we engage 67 aging Canadians in co design focus groups and we are incur- currently interviewing health system experts across the continuum to inform plans for implementation. So what are we learning from all of this? One of the key findings is that the needs of older adults assessed for home care in Ontario range in complexity and overlap with the needs of existing long-term care residents. So what you see here on this slide represents six groups, six distinct groups of older adults. And these people together represent 80% of Ontarians who were assessed for home care in 2017, 2018 in Ontario. And how we segmented these groups were to look at the predominant health and or social care issues that these people had that were putting them at risk for residential long-term care placement. And these are listed in red. So social frailty, caregiver distress, chronic disease management, cognitive impairment and behaviors, medical complexity, and geriatric syndromes. Then to think of these groups as real people and not just statistics or data, we gave them a name and added photos and then explored the dominant characteristics within each group, including their medical, functional, and social care needs. At the bottom, you see the proportion of the Ontario home care uh, population who is represented by each of these groups. And you also see the proportion of the Ontario long-term care population who can be described by these groups using similar assessment data. I want you to pay attention to group three that's highlighted here in blue, the Helen Yoon group. You can see that Helen's group represents a quarter of the Ontario home care population, but it also represents 28% of the Ontario residential care population. So one starts to wonder how do the Helen Younes in home care end up in residential long-term care? One answer we came up with in our research study was perhaps it's about the amount of direct care that's available to Helen Yoon in residential long-term care versus home care in Ontario. So let's unpack that a little bit. In terms of residential long-term care in Ontario, the current reported average of 3.73 hours of direct care per day per resident exists, and this is based on the paid hours that homes report to the Ministry of Long-Term Care in their 2019 staffing study, and we know there's a future target to move that number of hours to four by 2025, 2024-2025, which is great. However, in our study, when we looked at service utilization data in Ontario home care, we found that clients were receiving an average of 35 minutes or less of direct care per day. So there's quite a bit of disparity between these two sectors, particularly when you think about the overlapping care needs I just showed you on the previous slide. So we have a long way to go in home care. So why is this important? Well, not only do most older adults want to live and stay in their own homes. They already do. So look at the numbers on this slide. We have 78,000 residential long term care beds in Ontario and there's a plan to build more, which is great. However, we have 2.6 million older adults in their homes and 205,000 or so are receiving home care. We have a wait list of over 40,000 waiting for residential long-term care. And we can't forget about the thousands of people in hospital alternative level of care beds waiting for placement as well. And while these numbers may vary day to day, province to province or with recent legislation, the key message is the same. We need to be thinking about long-term care as a system. And if we want to build capacity within this system, we need to be including home and home care as relevant options. So what does it look like to keep Helen and Priya? What does it take, Annette, Gloria, Frank, Maya? What does it take to keep them at home? This slide shows you a summary of the long-term life care at home model that emerged from all that work we did on that messy slide. So this is a reimagined way for interdisciplinary home care teams to deliver the types and level of medical, functional, and social life care services to older adults to keep them in their homes long term. So on this slide, you see for each group a snapshot of the particular care package for that group that emerged, including the types of providers that would be involved in leading that care package, as well as the number of hours they would be receiving of care per day. A couple of notes, in building these care packages, we took a a usual approach of assigning distinct visits over the first 12 weeks, and these visits would be one to two hours in length each. The care hours you see here include assessment time, team collaboration time, referral and coordination time, respite time, as well as the direct care. So you'll see they're quite a bit different than our traditional model, which I shared with you previously. I'd also like to note that we haven't yet figured in many of the optimization tactics that we know will help to um, become make this model more efficient, including leveraging virtual care, tapering of care and services over the 12 weeks or following the 12 weeks, or leveraging things like hub and spoke models and neighborhood care. So as we plan and move towards implementation of the model, in specific places, we will build on local capacity to take advantage of these best practices in our implementation. So how feasible is this model? So we've done some preliminary costing and using emerging models of care in the Ontario uh, healthcare market, we have determined that the the long-term life care at home model would cost between 215 to $615 per day. So we are uh, undergoing a more robust economic analysis to think about some of those optimization techniques I mentioned on the previous slide. However, let's just start with comparing this preliminary costing to other usual costs cited across our system. So in terms of people living at home, it's hard to know how much they're costing our system when they're not yet attached to publicly funded home care or residential long-term care. However, what we do know is many of these people are living with frailty and are one hip fracture away from ending up in a hospital bed. In terms of long-stay home care, a commonly cited figure is $100 a day. However, we also know that 35% of these people are spending an additional $1,000 to $3,500 per month to fill in the gaps in terms of insufficient level of care. In terms of hospital ALC beds, we can estimate that these are costing between $715 to $842 a day based on the Financial Accountability Office of Ontario's estimate That these beds cost $500 more per day than a traditional residential long-term care bed. And in Ontario we know long-term care beds uh, per resident per day fees range between $215 to $342 a day. So I know that's a lot of numbers but if you had sticker shock when I said $215 to $615 a day for long-term life care at home Perhaps considering this range within the context of these other system costs helps to demonstrate that we need to take a needs-based, not a sector-specific approach to costing care for older adults and stop positioning home care as a cheaper alternative to residential long-term care, particularly if we value meeting people's needs. So what actions and decisions do we need to take? to rebalance the system and to build something like long-term life care at home into the equation, I'm going to hand it over to my colleague, Paul Holyoke now, and he's going to discuss that with us.
3: Thanks, Justine. Um, uh, Nice to hear the research uh, recited again. Um, So what does it take to rebalance the system? Uh, What do we need to do uh, to get long-term care as a continuum of services and supports uh, for better patient caregiver experience and meet people's full needs uh, around, the, around the, the entire circle. What, what is that equation? What is the equal sign? Um, so a couple of things here. So we, what we have, and Justine illustrated this, is that there is public support. People do want to live an age at home and that's uh, indisputable. But in the course of our study, we actually asked folks uh, of their their impression of home care, and they said a lot of good things, comfortable, supportive, uh, desired, uh, all all preferred. But the most common and most frequently cited uh, complaint or comment about home care was that it's complicated complicated and so one of the things we need to do to to provide the home care is to in in a different way is to simplify reduce the number of people involved allow and encourage the integration of the various uh uh, community resources healthcare providers and so on through the system and um allow people to integrate the, the care that they buy on their own into our into our system so actually really simplify what's going on one of the things about citizen engagement and public support is that there is an overwhelming and continuing preoccupation uh, and uh, understanding, uh, misunderstanding, that most of us who age end up in long term care in a, in a residential setting. And the numbers that Justine showed is so, show that that's absolutely not the case. But uh, in, in constant conversations, you listen to, uh, to what people are saying, they, they suggest that they're going to everyone that ends up in long term care in a residential setting, um, it, moving past that will be will be a challenge. Um, as for people who will benefit from the model, um, I think Justine has shown in the research that we did that there's a fair overlap with residential long term care, this is uh, important to, to look at. Um, John and Justine highlights uh, the 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 Helen Younes of the world, where there's sort of a a complete match between uh, residential uh, long term care and home care. But I um, look at the other um, other uh, personas as well, uh, the Gloria's and the Annette's and the Priya's um, and think about if if people with their characteristics and their their needs uh, can be accommodated very well in the community. um, Why aren't we uh, sharing? uh, Um, uh, experiences and learnings from across the country uh, to to really uh, expand the number of people who might benefit from this model. With respect to costs and demand, um, one thing that we did, as Justine explained, we looked at sort of a a per day uh, first uh, look at what the costs are. Uh, what we're going to do in the next phase um, is look at the costs across the system and where those costs can shift and where we can get the rebalancing of, of, um, of funding and, uh, and savings and spending across the system. Um, one thing that uh, we already know is that well integrated home and community care uh, reduces hospital use. Absolutely. There's so much evidence that that's true. Um, it, it's overwhelming. Um, and for those of you who know about the Bertzorg model and, the, and the, how Bertzorg has been implemented in the Netherlands, excellent model. Uh, you've probably also seen the economic analysis of uh, the impact of Burtzorg. And one of the key findings was in fact, that the integrated care that can be formed in that model, uh, which from which we borrow in some, in some respects here, uh, hospital use goes down. The less noticed uh, result from that economic analysis was in fact primary care use goes up with the, with the hands, the ears and the eyes of people in people's homes, they recognize that there are needs that can be met with primary care, dealing upfront <clears throat> with, um, with needs rather than waiting for uh, the, the crisis to happen and the, the need for acute, acute care services. So we wanna think about the impacts on primary care as well as hospital care, long-term residential care, and so on. And we'll be looking at that next. For geographic uh, specificity, in Ontario, we see that there's a a general trend to localizing care, and it's becoming more attractive, especially with Ontario health teams. And we see that as a real real bonus and an advantage uh, to moving forward with uh, rebalancing the the equation here. in every community, there are different sorts and uh, conditions of uh, supportive care and health care that's available. Um, and taking advantage of all those local resources and combining them into a total life care is, is a real advantage. Uh, one of the drawbacks, one of the barriers to moving forward is flexible funding uh, and, and funding in the community for home and community care. Um, in Ontario and in other places, There is some movement towards uh, bundling pricing, bundling costing for for various uh, um, episodes of care. Long been recognized that it's easiest to bundle pricing and care um, post-acute, post-surgical procedures. um, And that's in place in in, in many jurisdictions. What I think our study shows is that in fact, it's possible to start to think about more complex needs in various populations into bundles that may be delivered uh, to allow the flexible care, flexible funding for uh, the the range of needs that uh, increase and decrease and change over uh, the the lifetime of of older adults at home. And finally, the, the worst problem that we have is health human resources. Um, It's a problem, you know, luckily or unluckily, it's a problem across the system um, everywhere. But, um, and so that may be an advantage because we're all working on on that. Um, What we want to think about here is that um, bundling care and allowing the flexibility may, may alleviate some of this work, What we've seen in transitional hospital to home care programs is that the retention and attraction of working on a holistic basis, working with people over time is actually quite attractive, more attractive than the task-based, individualized, um, industrialized delivery of home care that's uh, that's typical. So we have a number of advantages. We have some some barriers to work through, uh, but the evidence that comes out of this study suggests some solutions to these things. And uh, I'd like to leave it there and turn it over back to John to see if we have some questions and some uh, questions that we've uh, we've fussed over among ourselves.
1: Thanks, Paul. Uh, I do see quite a few questions in the Q&A, and I get to them. But I'm going to pick us off with my own question. And that is, uh, uh, I, I come from long-term care. Uh, I, and uh, I know there are many of my former colleagues and current colleagues in the sector that are on this call today. And uh, putting on my long-term care hat, I'd be wondering, what are you really saying here? Are you saying that um, we should be shifting funding from long-term care, that this long-term life care is anti-long-term care? If I were to push that thought further, it'd be, um, you don't support Long-term care. Justine, how do you respond to that uh, to that uh, perception?
2: Yeah, thanks, John. I think it's a really important question to address given how historically sectorized and siloed continuing care has been. It, it doesn't really surprise me when people, you know, hear our argument for more and different home care and, and assume you know it's an argument against residential long-term care but in fact as you saw today it's you know quite the opposite. Um, Home care and residential long-term care are both part of the solution and both need to be part of the solution and require innovative reform to meet the needs of aging Canadians. So our expertise in the SE Research Center just happens to be on the home care piece and part of that solution. We know there's a lot of good work happening uh, to improve residential long-term care, uh, particularly over the last couple of years as well. So we really feel that meeting people's needs and preferences in their own homes will really help to build capacity across the system and help to reserve, you know, residential long-term care and hospital beds for people whose needs are best served in those settings. When we look holistically at people's needs, particularly from a social perspective, there are different reasons why different settings work for people and we wanna make sure that those options exist.
1: Yeah, I I agree. I think it is, you know, home care, we have sectorized our healthcare system and so there's home care and long-term care, but I think your answer really, Promotes the a system approach that it's not one or the other. There are clear benefits for different personas that we've talked about that you share that absolutely need long-term care, and there are others like the Helens that could benefit um, in uh, in a home in, in the in their own home. So it is really about a system approach. Um, I'm going to let Matt, uh, given that he's our generous host, uh, ask a question. Matt, over to you
0: uh thanks john so i've had a little of experience on a caregiver team over the last few years um and and so i've had some interesting experiences and and paul you you said that uh, some of the people that you spoke to said that the 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 system was complicated um i think they were being nice um I so I just as an example I had just a toot your own horn your own organization's horn I had a friend who was in a financial position to afford 16 hours of uh, home care a day and his experience um, staying at home especially during a palliative care was unbelievable and if we could get to that point for for everybody it would be fantastic and I don't think there is a debate or really much of a discussion. And I think you guys kind of address this with the finances. Um, I think the financial argument uh, can be made. Um, My question though is really the system navigation for the caregiver, Um, how do we address that so that it actually is something that you can address and something that is not in a sense going to put the stress so much on the caregiver that it puts them at the point where they say, I can't deal with this anymore. I can't handle this anymore. Whoever I'm caring for is gonna have to go into the system.
3: Yeah, so uh, I'll jump in and and respond. I think one of the things that we heard um, extensively and we hear every day, um, even those who are experienced in the system um, are flabbergasted at how complicated the system is. And so in the care packages that have been developed, we have included uh, uh, system navigation at the point of care. So it's not somebody off in an office somewhere who's telling you what to do, but it's the people that you're seeing in your home who are helping you figure out what's next and what should be done and the coordination of uh, all the people in the home. The other part is in the care packages, we also heard about respite, respite for caregivers. And Justine said at the very beginning of her her comments that um, caregivers are getting burnt out more and more. The packages include respite for caregivers in order that they can carry on and maintain their their homes uh, with the people who are are in need of more care. So two aspects. One is the, the, the integration, the guidance, the navigation is in the home. And second, there is distinct support for caregivers.
1: Um, I will take on the next question. I'll look at the Q and A. I think uh, this is an Ontario-specific question regarding Ontario health teams, but I think can be applied broadly across the country around the localization of care. But here in Ontario, there was a recent announcement, uh, an update on OHDs by our government, uh, and it's a clear move towards um, moving into a more localized approach. Um, maybe I'm gonna direct us to Paul. You know, how can we leverage the OHDs uh, to move long-term life care forward?
3: Yeah, so I, it, it's, a, it's, an, it's an interesting opportunity that we have in Ontario um, to bring together um, the system to try to sort out long-term uh, care at home and in residential settings and in hosp- everywhere. So we have a real opportunity. And if people are working together as they're instructed to do and invited to do in Ontario health teams, I think we can bring these kinds of um, answers together. We have particular um, opportunity in in Ontario. Uh, Ontario health teams are one of the key design features is that they are the the members of an OHT, the patient members, the citizen members are actually um, uh, designated as attributable to primary care teams. Primary care teams are um, you know, committed to the long term life care of people and tying home care and thinking through home care and residential long term care as extensions of primary care is really is quite, a, quite a, uh, an interesting idea and challenge uh, to think through. I don't know, John, if that uh, answered your question, but
1: we could do a whole different session on OHD in <laughs> this, uh, but we'll let Matt uh, design that session. Uh, I'm going to go to the next question around um, these funding packages, uh, which are quite clinical and medical in nature, and so Justine, I'm just uh, going to put this one to you, is around the other uh, support services are from our partners in, in the community regarding companionship, access to food, housekeeping, and so on. Justine?
2: Yeah, so absolutely we did. Um, We did explore all those types of services we actually um, in our in our method of consulting with uh, home care clinicians and um, and uh, Asian Canadians and their caregivers. Uh, We put out to them 65 different types of care and services that uh, people may need to live in age at home and in their communities. And that's based on a rapid scan that uh, Margaret uh, and myself completed. Um, And these services include things that could be provided by professionals in in the home, but also things in community like companionship like um, other community uh, support services that are available. And so we certainly factored that into building the models. The models that you see in terms of what's on on the slide that I shared were the types of care and support that could be provided in home by people who are already providing home care in Ontario. But like I said, those hours include coordination and referral time to link with those other services that we heard were so important in community And we need to do some more work uh, when we go to implement the model to to think about what those services look like in those local settings and to make sure those linkages exist, um, particularly with community support services, but also with primary care. As you heard Paul just mentioned, that was a huge part of what people were uh, focusing on as well. So absolutely, those were considered. um, And it's not just about sort of medical care. It's life care.
1: The next question, I'll just quickly answer around the breakdown. As Justine mentioned, there's a whole methodology uh, paper. Maybe we can put the link to the um, paper um, into the webinar chat and uh, that will answer your question there. Uh, So I'll skip to the next one regarding um, uh, where did you place clients in retirement homes? And uh, are you placing them in the community section or did you ignore? this group? I think that's a great question. So Paul or Justine, um, either one of you can answer uh, that question.
3: I'll jump in. <laughs> um, so uh, residents of retirement homes are eligible for home care in Ontario. And if they are receiving long stay home care, they would have been included in that in the, uh, the home care population.
2: Yeah, so if they're specifically uh, referring to the slide deck, the slide where I showed, you know, where everyone was, we would have considered them among those 2.6 million um, Asian Canadians and really thinking about leveraging retirement communities. And as I said, thinking about optimization tactics and how we might think about different ways of delivering the model, we would want to think about retirement communities as as a place of thinking about that for sure.
1: Hi, Reza, nice question. Uh, So Reza has a question around undervalues. How do you incorporate views about who should pay for what? Are there similar issues for childcare? Those with disabilities care for the homeless. Uh, Many of these services would not really fall under the medical care umbrella. I think you sort of answered some of that in the previous question, but uh, Paul or Justine.
3: And so we're looking at right now an in-depth review of what is paid for and what is not paid for in long-term care homes, according to regulations and so on and so forth, to see what the split is between co-pay, publicly paid and um, resident paid to have a view into some of those those questions and where where the costs, and we're comparing that to what's uh, available with home care. So, the, great question, Reza. Thank you very much for that. That is uh, probably the nitpickiest, most difficult question about um, who pays for what. Um, but there are, it, it's a surprising uh, crossover in those two sectors about what's paid for, who pays for what, and when, and how much.
2: Yeah, and I think that analysis was really driven by sort of when we were building the model and our methodology, you know, one of our principles in terms of thinking about how we were looking at all the data was that anything that is available in high quality residential long term care should be made available in high quality home care as well. And so that's why we're sort of doing this comparison to sort of inform that question and hopefully um, move the needle on that.
1: Okay, we've got one minute left. So... Um, I'll paraphrase the next question, but what now? There's some great insights here. We are at a inflection point across the country. What do we do to push long-term life care?
3: Well, we would love to start uh, piloting this this model uh, to see how it actually fits into communities. We believe it does. And we've, we've started talking to partners in the communities about whether they'd be interested in piloting. We're looking for support in, in, in moving those pilots forward um, and uh, look forward to the contributions of everybody on this call as well. Comments and, and uh, are, are welcome to help us think through how we break through uh, in partnership with Ontario health teams and partnership with primary care networks in Alberta, who, who, who is interested in helping us move forward here?
1: Okay. Uh, I think we're at time. And so want to thank Longwoods, Matt, and your team, our SE team, our panelists, a lot of people involved to get this uh, session up and running this morning, and to all the participants for joining today.